1: Hey folks, this is Bobby Parmar from the Darden School at the University of Virginia. And if you wanna use the power of great relationships to build your business, you should be listening to Build Your Network with my good friend, Travis Chappell.
0: Welcome to the show. I'm Travis Chapel, and I chat with some of the world's top business influencers, thought leaders, and entrepreneurs in order to crack the code of networking. I believe that who you know is more important than what you know, and that your relationships ultimately determine the person that you become. So if you wanna learn the new way of connecting, You want to fill your network with quality people and skyrocket your results, then you're in the right place. Because this is the Build Your Network Podcast. Hey, what's going on, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of Build Your Network. Today I have the pleasure of sitting down with Professor Bidden Parmar, or Bobby Parmar. He is a Shannon Smith emerging scholar in business administration. He teaches first year ethics, second year electives on collaboration and creative and critical thinking at the Darden School of Business. And he was named one of the top 40 business school professors under 40 in the world and has won several. Teaching and research awards. Guys, it's going to be a really interesting conversation. I can't wait to jump into it. But first, really quickly, if you are a seven figure entrepreneur and you know that a podcast could benefit you or your brand, or maybe you're an author and you know just working through your material on a podcast might help you with your next book deal or whatever it is, you know you want a show, you just don't have the time or the team to dedicate to figure it all out. Let me and my team do it for you. Just head over to slash make my podcast. And there's a quick application there. We'll jump on a phone call, see if it'd be a good fit to build out a show for you so that you can do the things that you're really good at. We can do the things that we're really good at for you. That's make slash podcast. Bobby, thank you so much for joining me on the show today. Travis, thanks so much for having me on. Yes, definitely. So let's go ahead and jump right in and build some context here for those listening. Talk to me about childhood for you. Let's go 10, 11 years old. What, what were we up to at that point? Yeah. You know, family life, school, academic sports, like what was life like for 12-year-old Bobby?
1: So when I was about 11 or 12, you know, big thing in my life is that I just started martial art. You know, I was always kind of a nerdy kid playing a lot of video games, reading a lot of books. And my parents were like, you have to do something physical. And they signed me up for martial arts lessons. And, you know, for the first month, I absolutely hated it. Like, I didn't like (laughs) anybody there. I didn't like teachers. But my dad is really frugal. And so he was like, we paid for a month. Damn it, you're going every day. <laughs> and uh, he would just drop me off. By the end of the month, I would formed all these amazing relationships. I was getting a little bit better at it. Ended up staying for 17 years. I wow. met a lot of amazing folks. I learned how to teach. I learned a lot about people. I taught the children. I taught adults. And I ended up meeting some folks that would be pivotal to the rest of my life there. So it was a really big, important time in my life.
0: Yeah, no kidding. And I'm sure now looking back too, as an adult, you can really appreciate that your parents really forced you to go ahead and take that first step, right?
1: Oh, absolutely. I never would have done it on my own. And it was a life-changing thing for me. I met so many amazing folks and highly recommend it.
0: So talk to me then about high school. What was high school experience like for you? Obviously, there's no martial arts teams, I'm sure, where you went to school. So how did that play into, you know, your school life, your friends, circles and all that kind of stuff?
1: Yeah, totally. So, you know, I I would finish up school at like 3.30 and head over to the Dojang and start teaching. And so I was basically at the martial arts school from, you know, like 3.30, 4 o'clock till about eight thirty nine 9 o'clock. I'd finish up homework after getting home and then go to school. I had a lot of great friends who I still keep in touch with. One of them was my college roommate. Both of them were my best men at my wedding I have two close friends that have been with me, you know, since middle school on. Uh, and then lots of, lots of friends, you know, that kind of come and gone and come back into my life. And that's always been interesting to see how, how that happens as well.
0: Sure. Any pressure from parents in terms of like post-high school accomplishments or anything like that? Or talk to me about your decision-making process after high school?
1: Oh, totally. You know, I'm a son of immigrants and my parents are from India. And so the... Yeah, so, so you're, you're like uh, first
0: generation then. Like, well, exactly. second, yeah. first generation that's only lived in the US then?
1: That's exactly right. Okay. And so the expectation was always that I'd be a doctor. And I always thought that growing up as well. And I did pre-med the first couple of years here at UVA, where I was an undergrad. And um, I woke up one day and I was like, I don't particularly enjoy this. I don't know that I want to do this. And it was really hard to think about, you know, now that the world is my oyster, what do I want to do? And in yeah, fact, sure. it was one of the relationships that I had from teaching martial arts. There was a family who I love dearly. And um, the parents worked at the university. And so the professor basically was like, why don't you come do some research with me and see what you think about research and being a faculty member and stuff like that. And that was the beginning of kind of my love with research and academia and and teaching in a completely different domain. And so that's how I got started. I finished my undergraduate degree. I I worked as a full-time research assistant for several years, kind of working on, you know, this is back in the day before, Google Scholar. So we had to do all the citations and things by hand, Mm. all the grunt work that research assistants did back in the day. And then I applied to business school and got my PhD as well. So that really set me on a very different trajectory in life, but one that I'm super thankful for.
0: Why business at that point?
1: Yeah, you know, it was interesting. I wasn't quite sure early on, but, you know, in my days as a martial artist, I was really passionate about this idea about using power responsibly, right? Like we were teaching everyone all these lethal techniques. And I really believed that And the school that I taught at had this philosophy that you use that responsibly and you use that to make the world better for yourself and those around you. And ultimately, the faculty member I ended up working with was a faculty member in business ethics. Hmm. Business ethics is very similar. It's a discipline that says, you know, business as an institution and society has a lot of power. And with that power comes a lot of responsibility. And how can we train leaders and organizations to use that power in ways that help make everybody better off rather than just enriching themselves?
0: This episode of the show is brought to you by Indeed. We are driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate is not to search at all. It's to match and match with Travis. Just go to Indeed.com slash Travis right now and support this show by saying you heard about Indeed here on the podcast. Indeed.com slash Travis. Terms and conditions apply. If you need hire, you need Indeed. Gotcha. So man, definitely martial arts had a huge impact on your life. I mean, from everything that we're talking about, even just so far into the very beginning of this conversation. So obviously something that meant a lot to you uh, growing up. Do you have advice This is a totally selfish question, by the way, because I'm a dad now. We have a a 16-month-old, and then we're due in around Thanksgiving time with our daughter. And uh, so anytime I get the ability to ask questions now about insights into parenting and how to do it better, I try to take advantage of those. I find that there can be a really intricate balance between pushing your kids too much versus not ever pushing them to do anything. And, And it sounds like your parents had a pretty good balance with that, do you have any advice for parenting
1: around those types of things? What a great question! You know, I have two kids as well. Mine are now thirteen and twelve, and you know, it's always a it's always a challenge for parents. So, first of all, congratulations! Um, it's an amazing thing to be a parent. And I think you know, in the early stages, you know, we chose to let our kids kind of lead us and say, what are you interested in? Mm-hmm. You know, let's go explore a lot of different things. You want to play soccer and volleyball. And they tried martial arts and dance. But around this age of like 11, 12, is a good time to kind of pick something that you really love and build some deep expertise. You know, and I think the best way to do that as a parent is to share with your own child your own passion for something. The fact that you're working on something that you're not good at, but you are enjoying the process of getting better at it. It's a lot easier for children to see that in their parents and expect that for themselves than, you know, not see your parents do that and tell and have them tell you, hey, you got to go do this thing that I'm not doing.
0: So true. Yeah. That uh, do as I say, not as I do thing can definitely, if not consciously, Definitely subconsciously work its way into into your kids' minds for sure. So I really appreciate that. Again, that was kind of a selfish question. Off the normal conversation, let's get back into your story here specifically, Bobby. So obviously, you enjoyed research enough to continue to make it a part of your career. What was so attractive about
1: it to you? What I love about research is the mystery-solving aspect of it. There's just some things about the world we don't know, some questions that you know, if we figured out could help us all live better lives, help leaders make more effective decisions, help organizations use their resources more effectively. And what I love about research is that, it's that mystery solving, like you get, I just get possessed by a question and I want to know how it works. And so research is a great way of kind of diving into the details and really understanding in depth how something works, what brings it about, and then being able to communicate that to folks who can actually use it. So I love this intersection of doing the research, but then doing research that is actionable or practical because I care about making a positive impact in the world, in the lives of my students, in the lives of the companies and executives I work with. And research for research sake is not as interesting to me as research that solves a pressing need.
0: If you got assigned a project at some point during that stage and it was for something that you didn't really have much interest in, was there anything that you did to kind of like foster that feeling of interest so that you could research effectively? Because I'm sure your level of desire to uncover truths about something that you were doing research for has a lot to do with how good the research actually was, right?
1: Yeah. I think you know, research, like so many important tasks in our day-to-day lives, doesn't have an immediate payoff, right? It's not instant gratification. And so that motivation really carries you through those ups and downs. So it's really important. And you know, how you manage that motivation at least how I tried to manage that motivation, because like every human being, there are days that you're more motivated and days that you're not as motivated, or projects you're more excited about and projects you're not as excited about. I always try to find how the work connects to specific people. Like who benefits from this work? Who could use it? How does this impact someone's life? And by thinking about the impact on another human being or a set of human beings, that's what got me excited, right? Oh, like if I did this research, it would help entrepreneurs be more effective in how they. You know, solicited venture capital, or if I really dug through this lit review for weeks and weeks on end, it could help companies hire more effectively. And so, like, really understanding the impact on human beings, something that I find helps me be more motivated when I'm not always as motivated as I should be.
0: Yeah, sure. I want to ask you a little bit about your time now at Darden School of Business. When did that opportunity present itself and how were you positioned in a way to execute on that opportunity?
1: Yeah, what a great question. So, you know, I got my PhD here at Darden and it's not very common to work at the same institution where you got your PhD. Most often you travel somewhere else. I had a colleague who was on sabbatical and they asked me to teach in the core and things went well. And they said, you know, this is great. Why don't you think about staying? I always wanted to come back to Darden because I think once you get your MBA here, You fall in love with the place. You fall in love with the faculty and what this place stands for. And so at the time, my plan was to go away for seven, eight years and then come back after that. But I got the opportunity to stay out of the gate. And I wasn't sure if I should take it, if it was the right time in my career to take that opportunity. So, you know, I spoke with family and mentors and advisors and talked to the dean and the senior associate dean for faculty. And people were really supportive and helpful. And they said, you know, yeah, there are risks if you stay, but we're willing to help you manage those risks. And I've been here now as a faculty member for the last 12 years. And I got to wow. say, have amazing colleagues. I think one of the risks is if you stick around at this place where you got your PhD. People just think of you as that stupid PhD student who didn't know anything and <laughs> yeah. was asking a bunch of crazy questions. (laughs) But I got to say, I'm so lucky. I had colleagues who allowed me that opportunity to grow and, you know, didn't hold my old, you know, intransigences against me. They were like, yeah, you grow and change and you get more effective. And they always judge me on what I was doing, not on the past. And I I deeply appreciate that.
0: Yeah, no kidding. That takes a special group of people for sure. I was just having this conversation with my wife actually recently because with the way that I grew up, there was a couple of different times in the last just small amount of time, even six, seven years that I've had to completely reinvent myself and it seems like every time you do that and and you you go for this new thing all the people that knew you when you were this different version of yourself have certain feelings about you or your success or what you're capable of doing or what is you know within reach for you and uh, sometimes you got to go outside of those circles just to surround yourself with people who believe in you again so it's really cool that you had that experience where the people who actually helped you and brought you up to the position that you were in were actually able to you know look past the past version of yourself and understand that that's just a part of life. Everybody grows, everybody changes. And if you're not changing, that's probably a sign that you're not doing the right thing anyway. So so Bobby, I I do want to kind of talk a little bit about networking, connecting with folks. And I know that's obviously been a big part of your career is even you were just talking about with a uh, connection that you had from somebody in martial arts that put you on for this career path that you really took off in. This is a question that I ask everybody, every single guest, all, you know, 300 plus whatever guests we've had on the show at this point. So I'm curious to hear your answer. Do you believe that who you know or what you know is more important? Which of those two is more important
1: and why? It's such a great question and you know, in, in academia there's a lot of debate about this idea between, you know, social capital and, you know, human capital or and I actually think about it slightly differently. It's not about who you know or what you know. It's about how you make other people feel. Right? The power of networking is in a set of relationships, but networking isn't just about knowing somebody. It's about that interaction. It's about how you relate to someone else that allows them to say, you know what, Travis is a person that I want to share this with, or I want to you know, send you this article or give you this opportunity or invest in your venture. And so- Relationships matter a lot and I think the research shows that relationships matter more than just the human capital, the knowledge that you have. That's why people with the same degrees have such different effects. But relationships by themselves don't explain that difference. It's how people execute those relationships, how they interact with others, how they make them feel, how they make them cared for, feel cared for and heard and seen. That is the real difference and I know that, you know, this is a really popular podcast on networking. And I'm sure you've had many guests who help you and help your listeners understand that how you interact, how you communicate is a big part of networking effectively. And I think that that's what is the big differentiator here.
0: What are some ways that, you know, let's say, I mean, I guess we don't even have to come up with a hypothetical situation. I was going to say, let's say we didn't ever learn how to communicate, but that's literally everybody. There's no, you know, really good emotional intelligence you know classes in high school or anything like that how do we take a skill set that really is is so important and crucial in almost every aspect of life that we never got any teaching around growing up like in terms of education how do we take that type of a concept and apply it now and what are some resources maybe some things that that we should be looking for things that we can learn about this really important skill set
1: yeah So the first thing I'd say is find people who who make you feel good. Find people who you wanted to spend more time with or that are connected, that you feel connected with and like understand what it is that they do. How do they ask you questions or are they curious about, you know, your own life and how you spent your time? And use those moves. You know, when I work with my students, I'm the co-director of something at Darden called the Experiential Leadership Development Lab. And what we do is we actually teach skills around empathy and perspective taking and communication, but we don't teach it by like giving people You know, a chapter to read. We put them in situations where they have to execute that. We videotape them. They watch themselves back. We give them personal executive coaching on, oh, did you notice that you did this or you didn't do this or you could try this? And week after week, they practice these skills and it takes practice. So I'd say the first thing is finding some good exemplars and then putting into practice some of those, you know, tools and techniques that they're using into your daily life and saying, oh, how did that go? Did I have a better conversation with this person if I inquired about you know their likes and dislikes or their perspective on something or gave them an opportunity to talk about you know what they're passionate about hmm. or following up with somebody? A great networking trick that you know I find that I always respond to is when I have a colleague or a friend or acquaintance who sends me something like an article or a podcast or a video that they think I'd be interested in, you know, and it's not just something that they're trying to push on me. It's based on a conversation we've had. So they're like, oh yeah, I remember this conversation we had. And based on this conversation, here's something that I think you would really enjoy. And that's a great way of, you know, getting yourself back up on people's radars and saying, you know, hey, thanks for that. That was really valuable. So I think the big picture things are pay attention to how you communicate, find great exemplars, practice and then think about what, what worked really well and what you want to add to your own repertoire. Everybody has different tools and techniques and you got to find the ones that ring true for you that are authentic to your own style.
0: Mm. Yeah, and into your personality too, right? Like there's be different prescriptions for somebody that's an introvert who is an only child growing up or something than it would be for somebody who had six siblings and is a complete extrovert. Um, It'd be like prescribing a certain diet to a different body type when it doesn't work for every body type. You have to constantly take account for where you are and kind of formulate a plan going forward from there. I really appreciate that answer, Bobby. I want to ask you this because I just find these stories so interesting. It proves the power of networking because it's such an abstract concept, networking is. You know, like I can't ever sit somebody down and say, here are the exact deliverables. Here's the exact benefits that are going to come into your life from getting to know people and treating them well. You know what I mean? It's so abstract this connection here could have led to this opportunity there that you would have never, ever thought in a million years would have done that. Um, And that's what makes it so powerful because if you can do that constantly, those opportunities and those seemingly serendipitous moments will start to happen over and over again. And you can actually, at that point, engineer that serendipity to happen in your own life. So Bobby, can you tell us a story besides the, the one that you told us earlier about a time when a connection in your life led to Something big for you, an opportunity, a moment of success, of uh, you know, appreciation, something
1: along those lines. Yeah. I am so lucky here at Dartmouth, University of Virginia, to be able to work with so many different audiences, and we have a short amount of time to connect with each other In my, with my residential MBA students, I see them for two years. but we also have an executive education program. and so these are executives and companies that come for anywhere from like half a day to three weeks depending on the program. and for me personally, Getting to connect with them, spending a little time with them, talking about my research or problems that they're facing. You know, there have been several times where those folks have called me up and said, Hey, can I hire you as a consultant for a particular topic? Or they've made a connection saying, Hey, I went to this great course at Darden and there's this faculty member who's doing work in this area, and they connect me with someone else in their organization or in their own network who who might have similar challenges. And so they're just example after example where I've been given great opportunities because You spend the time to get to know someone on a human level and you appreciate them. And you don't do it with the intention that, hey, this is going to lead to something else because people can tell when they're being used for opportunities or when you genuinely care. And so the most important thing, I think, is, as you said, showing that genuine care and affection. And then those opportunities do materialize. And the work that I do here at Darden around this idea of stakeholder theory, stakeholder theory is applying this concept of relationships to business. Absolutely, it works on the individual level. And business organizations need to develop strong relationships with their employees and their customers and their suppliers and the environment and the communities in which they operate in because those opportunities and avoiding costs are integral for businesses and the quality of relationships absolutely impact that. If you could indulge me, I'd like to just talk about one of the studies that my one of my friends did. One of my colleagues uh, at Wharton did this amazing study, and he's looking at gold mines and what makes mining companies profitable. And in the context of mining, you know, mining executives typically think about three variables. They think about what's the market price of gold, how much gold do we think is in this particular region, and what's the cost of extraction, like how expensive is it going to be to mine in this particular region. They do the math, and if it looks like it's going to be profitable, they dig. But what this colleague did with his research team is they went and they looked at every one of these individual minds and they looked at every public media mention of these minds. So, you know, every time there was a newspaper story or, you know, something on Twitter and they coded those for whether they indicated a positive or negative relationship. So if the community was excited about the jobs the mine would create, they coded that as a positive relationship. Hmm. And if the, you know, if they were problems with the union, if the union had a conflict with the mine, they would code that as a negative relationship. What's fascinating is when they regressed those positive and negative relationships on the stock price of these mining companies, they found that the relationships, those positive stakeholder relationships were worth two times the price of the gold coming out of the mine. And that's just amazing, right? So when, as as an executive, you are treating your stakeholders fairly. You are interested in caring for them and looking out for their best interests. There are all kinds of ways in which those benefits accrue to you personally and to your organization.
0: Yeah, I absolutely love that. I want to ask you now a little bit about this film that you have coming out, Fishing with Dynamite, because I know a lot of these things that we're talking about, are things that you go over in that film. So can you tell us a little bit more about that?
1: Yeah, the film Fishing with Dynamite is about this idea, what is the purpose of business? And for too long, we've told the story that the only purpose of business is to make as much money as possible. But what this film does is it attacks that as a myth and says, actually, there's lots of reasons why that's not true. For example, you know, now we have over 60 years of research that shows that when companies try to maximize profits or shareholder value, they don't actually succeed at that. That they don't actually create more profits or more shareholder value. But the film introduces this idea of stakeholder capitalism, this idea that if we take care of our employees, our customers, our suppliers, our communities, that we can do better. And so the film talks about research. It interviews prominent executives at companies that are applying a stakeholder approach and shows that there is benefit to taking care of relationships in the context of business, mm-hmm. that managing your stakeholder relationships is what business leaders do and when they do it well, there is the higher likelihood of better returns. For example, when a company shows up on Fortune's best places to work list repeatedly, those companies outperform competitors in the exact same industry between 3 to 5% in their stock price year over year. Now that doesn't sound like a lot on a one year basis, but if you compound that, that that's a pretty big deal.
0: That is the answer that I was looking for and uh I that one that re- was super stoked when um when you guys reached out to bring you on the show because it sounds like this is right up our listeners' alley. So, can you tell us a little bit about the release, where we can find the uh the film and stuff
1: like that? Yeah, the film is available now. And the best place to get it is iTunes and Apple TV.
0: iTunes and Apple TV. So make sure to go search for fishing with dynamite over there. Bobby, thank you so much for coming on the show. I do want to move into the last segment, something I like to call the random round. Just a few quick random questions, quick random answers. Ready?
1: Love it. Let's do it.
0: What profession other than your own do you think that'd it be fun to attempt? Being an entrepreneur. If you could sit on a park bench with someone, past or present, and chat for an hour, who would it be?
1: I gotta say uh, Lin-Manuel Miranda. I'm just fascinated by Hamilton and how that beautiful work of art was put together.
0: How do you like to consume content? Books, audiobooks, blogs, podcasts, videos?
1: Videos, I'd say.
0: Give us a glimpse of your morning routine.
1: Get up, you know, I have a cup of coffee, have a few vitamins, head off to work, and make my list of things to do for the day.
0: What is your go-to pump-up song? 8 mile M&M what is something that you are just not very good at
1: rock climbing unfortunately
0: <laughs> and as we get everything wrapped up here Bobby what's one place online where our listeners can go to connect with you the most
1: you know my website at the Darden Business School is the place where I'm probably most prominent i do have a couple of youtube videos up so i'm increasing my presence on youtube as well
0: perfect so if you want to hear more from Bobby be sure to head over to youtube and search his name or to the Darden School of Business as well. Bobby, I did this is such a great conversation. Thank you so much for sharing some of your amazing insights with the audience. I know that everybody had a fantastic time listening, just like I did. So appreciate you for coming on the show.
1: Thanks so much, Travis.
0: Well, that's it for this episode. If you want to connect with me and other like-minded people who also listen to the show, you're going to want to head over to travischapelcom group to join my free Facebook group, The Lounge. I'll see you over there. And remember to leave every relationship better than you found it.